You're listening to an audio resource from Redemption Hill Church. This resource is not meant to be a replacement for participation at a local church, but an accessory to the care you're receiving from your own pastors. To learn more about Redemption Hill Church or to give to our ministry, visit redemptionhilldsm.org. We're here to sound the trumpet about John Knox. You're listening to Cornfield Theology. Hey everyone, Pastor Sean here, Pastor of Redemption Hill Church, located in the Des Moines Metro. Back at you with another Cornfield Theology podcast. Uh, before we get to it, we're going to be talking about John Knox t- today, by the way. Logan's here with me. Yep. How you doing? Doing great. Uh, Dean Klein's here with me, both members of Redemption Hill Church, both intellectual giants. Right? I, I'm intellectual and I'm giant, but I wouldn't say that I'm, in, I'm an intellectual <laughs> giant. How are we using terms today? <laughs> Uh, before we get into it, Logan, how can people find us? Let's, let's, let's cover that base real oh, quick. You, oh, I wasn't prepared. We usually do this at the end. Uh, you can find us, uh, redemptionhilldsm.org. Right? Yeah. And then cornfieldtheology.com. Cornfieldtheology.com, yeah. I got to get the ends right. Yeah. Uh, but then we're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, YouTube. Amazon, YouTube. Yeah, we try to hit up all the major and secondary podcast sources so as best we can yeah best we can and uh thanks for listening thanks for taking interest we hope to itch the scratch of a little bit of reformation history in specific uh being specific about john knox now uh, a little context as to why we're doing this podcast um in early january i'd asked you guys hey do you want to go to the Desiring God Conference. The Serious Joy Conference. The Serious Joy, yeah, sorry. Which yeah. they've renamed the Bethlehem Pastor. So we've lost track yeah. of what they're naming their own conference. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I go to the website, the first thing you see is Serious Joy. So I'm going to go with that All one. All right. Uh, so those folks at Bethlehem College and Seminary. That's yep. it. Not the church, though. Right. Or the ministry, Desiring God. They're all interconnected. <laughs> they're all right? interconnected, though. All right. So uh, a reason why I wanted you guys to go was the reason why I went to Florida on behalf of our denomination is that there was a focus on anthropology, Yep. right? And I'm like, this is a big issue right now in our culture and certainly a big issue within the church. So go ahead and go. Uh, let's make some content out of that because we're all mm. learning. We continue to learn. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're going to have another podcast right after this, and it'll drop at a different time and date where we talk a little more on that. But you guys had the opportunity. Was it a breakout session? Yep. Yes, it was. Yeah, a breakout session where you got to learn about one of the great Scottish reformers, the greatest Scottish reformer. In my mind, yeah. he's on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I mean, of all reformers, right? Oh, of, yeah, I would put him on the Mount Rushmore of all reformers. Really? Yeah, okay, we're gonna talk yeah, about why. He's just Scottish reformers. Like it might just be him because not the re- much of the rest of them are well known. Yeah, well, like John Knox isn't well known, and then there's yeah. even lesser known reformers. Yeah, in well, he's he's on the Mount Rushmore because his first name's John. Seems, <laughs> seems to be a common theme. <laughs> he just got con- confused with a different John. Yeah, right. Uh, John Knox. Yeah. John Knox, Scottish Presbyterian reformer. Um, it is it is not only because of John Knox, but a primary influence of John Knox in which uh, Scottish Presbyterianism flourished. Mm-hmm. It was able to flourish. And uh, you see some of the downstream effects even within American culture Absolutely. because of Scottish Presbyterianism in particular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guys went. Uh, you had a great time. John Knox, educate me. I mean, I, I love church history, but I'm sure this is like kind of the top of your mind in terms of church history, mm-hmm. uh, educate me. Educate our listeners. Go for it. What, Logan, who, who's John Knox? So, other than he's a Scottish Presbyterian and he's dead. Uh, he also has the greatest beard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, if we're talking about Mount Rushmore's, like, he's on there for just beards. Why do, what makes it so He writes up there with ZZ Top? Or, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, have you seen pictures of him with his beard? It's like a foot to foot and a half long. It's, was this before it's, like, beard oil? That was a yeah. thing. Uh, actually, beard oil, I'm pretty sure it's pretty common. But so it's like know. he's... Listen, I'm here to talk about the history of John Knox, not right, the history of beard oils. Or or his beard. Right. Well, I'm a little bit a little so, bit for that. So who's our guy? Who's our guy? Yep. So he, you know, Scottish reformer uh, in the 1500s, uh, born in early 1500s, like... 1514. 1514, 1515. Like right before 1517 where, you know, you got yeah. the knock, nail on the knock, Catholic knock, door. Knock, knock, Yep. Um, chapel door. Yep. So he was a man that grew up in Scotland, had to do a lot of traveling and exiling due to, you know, the constant conflicts between the early Protestants and the Catholics. Yeah, if you study 16th century England, you realize right away there's just so much um, it's like a tug of war between Protestantism um, and 
Catholicism, different kings and queens coming in, one getting usurped and bringing in their own views, and then they're per- persecuting the other side. Uh, yep. So that's that was certainly a thing. Yep. So that's like kind of a, I think, a broad overview of John Knox. What would be your broad overview of John well, Knox? Well, you mentioned the the dynamics of the English government, mm-hmm. and you had this constant back and forth between who, you know, depending on who was in power, it would be either a Roman Catholic country or a Protestant country. And, and of course, uh, during the life of John Knox, he had the occasion of even speaking with some someone like Elizabeth I, who would mm-hmm. come later, yeah. but he dealt with... Protestant queen. The Protestant queen of England, of England. This that reigned for about 45 years, I think, between yep. um, 1548 and 1603. This man's like an encyclopedia <laughs> of history. It's amazing. But but he... Or it's the notes next and, to him. And, and, and basically, <laughs> um, it's ironic that... Um, it was actually Edward VI who was a very favorable to the reformed movement that right. John Knox led in Scotland. Yep. That w- I heard that he was actually instrumental in freeing Knox mm. from the French gallows, yeah. galleys. That uh, he was a sl- he was actually in a slavery for nineteen months of his life. We may get to that, but that was shortly after John Knox's conversion. So that's kind of how he started the Christian life. Mm. And so, my point when I think of John Knox. I think of the Scottish reformer, mm-hmm. but I also think of two other things. I think of someone who was, in my mind, one of the first Puritans, sure, the forerunner right, of right. Puritanism it, that became uh, such a force in in 17th century England. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and it was John Knox that kind of uh, influenced many of those. Yeah, Pur- I'll pause you right there because I think when people think about Puritanism, they need to understand that there was a groundwork being laid prior to 17th century Puritanism, 18th century Puritanism. You have to talk about the reformers. You have to talk about, you have to go back to Geneva, right? Absolutely. And see the influence of Geneva, not only on Puritanism, but as we'll get to in a moment, on John Knox himself. Well, and yeah, and he was was also involved. There's not a a lot of stuff that he wrote, but he did write, what's that called? The Scottish Confession? He wrote the Scottish Confession Which became the groundwork for the Westminster Confession Mm, later on. Which yep. Is, yep. No, so you know how we work off of the 1689, which works off of the Westminster. So, yeah, but that was only a small. That was like a <laughs> nutshell version. Well, this, sure. is what he, this is what Dean, this is what this is what Logan's saying. Everyone's stealing from everyone. <laughs> so when so when all the pure 1689ers come up to me and be like, "You can't do that," and I'm like. Think everyone else was doing. They, I knew this was they, going. They right stole away. from the from the Presbyterians. Hey, I set it up on a the for you guys. Presbyterians <laughs> right, stole right. from John Knox. Come on. But there's nothing like the Westminster Catechism. Anyway, let's get. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But well, uh, no, it's it's well, in my mind one of the finest theological documents ever written, and it yeah. was written in the 17th century of England. Mm-hmm. And again, I give a lot of credit to John Knox. I mean, um, just think about, just pause and think about that. Uh, the Westminster Confession and its influence, you know even in the United States. And we have a man in John Knox who is one of the heavyweights in influencing that particular document. We don't hear about, we don't, we don't talk about that influence that much. Why do you think that is? Well, there's not a, a again, um, one of the other points I was going to make regarding John Knox is um, he was trained and he was a, he was a tremendous intellect. Um, but he did not, he, he wrote things at the encouragement of, of John Calvin, but he didn't write much, did he? Mm. Is, is that what you found? Yeah, there, I mean. There's not a lot of writings. For instance, when I think of John Knox, I think of the man, the preacher. Yeah, sure. Okay, above all things, that's why we, we started out this as this podcast with the trumpet analogy. Yeah, he was right. nicknamed the trumpet blast of Scotland for a reason. Mm. And so in saying that, we only have, what, two two of his sermons, maybe three at yeah, best, like that, well, that are that are with us today. Yeah, mm. like when we went to the to the conference and there was a presenter that was giving us, you know, this information. That's where a lot of my information got came from. John Knox. It's like really didn't have many of his own original works. There's really not a ton actually written about him either. He didn't really produce any commentaries that at least we have. Like he did his thing, went around, preached. <laughs> And really what he got known for was his boldness. Um, so yeah. like, let, me, let me ask this question. Go for it. Why should we study John Knox? It, not just your 
your seminarian, you know, you go to seminary and you, you take your church history class and maybe you have something specifically on the Reformation or whatever. Uh, but, I'll let you answer that first and then I'll follow up. But, you know, our folks at Redemption Hill Church, um, you know, here in the middle of Des Moines Metro, right? Why should they care about John Knox? And even, even take consideration, be like, you know, maybe I should learn more about this man. Sure. Um, so I think the primary reason is we, sh- I think it is valuable for us to look at, you know, uh, giants of the faith, as mm-hmm. you know, call them, and seek yeah. to imitate them as they imitate Christ. Just yeah. as Paul said, it imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's good. And I wrote down a few scriptures, you know, that talked about imitations. Because uh, you have Second Thessalonians three nine, Paul saying, "But to give you in ourselves an example to imitate." You have Third uh, John eleven, uh, "Do not imitate evil, but imitate good." Mm-hmm. In Hebrews thirteen seven, which I think is the most clear, where it says, uh, "Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome and their way of life, and imitate their faith." Mm-hmm. Ignoring my own typos in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there, there is actually this call to imitate people of faith. Okay. So let me, let me just push the ball down the the court a little bit more, and then we'll go to Dean here. What is it about John Knox that we should imitate? I hear the point, the biblical point, imitate mm-hmm. me as I imitate Christ. Of course, what are the, some of those specific attributes or qualities where it's like, whoa, he was acting like Christ in this way? Right. I think the what he's known for is that boldness, calling out sin, and mm-hmm. not fearing man. I actually wrote down a few quotes um, from the presentation. So I looked that up. Boldness, I think about the book of Acts, you know, preach the gospel boldly. Mm-hmm. And that whole, what Dean was mentioning earlier is that... Uh, how he laid the groundwork for Puritanism and Puritanism very much is about fighting sin. Mm-hmm. You know, John Owen, mortification of sin, being yep. the chief of works. Now I have to contend with my own spelling and handwriting here. So forgive me if I misquote anyone. So there was the Earl of Morton who said, um, here lieth a man who in his life never feared the face <laughs> of man. Mm-hmm. Nor, think, nor flattered anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. They get the whole quote. He, did, <laughs> yeah. he wasn't yeah. given to flattering people. Either. Right. And I think this was like one of his eulogies, like after he died. Okay. Uh, John Field, I believe, um, said uh, he was heroical and bold in spirit. Mm. And Spurgeon even said he, that he wished he could preach and pray like John Knox. Wow. That's so that's a, that's another thing is his prayer. He life was a man of well. prayer, absolutely. Huge man of prayer. Wrote, wrote, re- preached a lot in prayer and wrote a lot of prayer, but was given to prayer. And one of his books that still survives to this day is A Treatise on Prayer. Mm. So boldness prayer, standing up against sin, and not backing down to the fear of man. So I'm going to kick the question over to Dean for a moment um, on why we should study John Knox, not just us, those who love to study it, but Christians in general. But it is it is worth noting that he goes under the radar because, as you said, he doesn't have, he's not like Spurgeon where you can just, he's written so much, mm-hmm. right? It, there's what what little we do have, and then clearly the reputation and the legacy he left behind in the minds of people like Spurgeon. Right. He's so forgotten that his tombstone is under pavement in Scotland today. It's under mm-hmm. a road, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> Steam at pavement. Yeah. So additional reasons. He did have statues. I don't know, yeah. they, they won't own him today. but <laughs> Right. What additional reasons why we should study John um, Knox, in addition I, to what Logan said? Again, I think of the man, the preacher, mm-hmm. because there's such such anemic and compromising preaching today in the church today. And so John Knox came on the scene where idolatrous, corrupt religion intertwined to the political powers was Mm -hmm. in place in Scotland. So he did not have the groundwork laid. He laid the groundwork. And he fought against a system that had all of the resources behind it, including uh, financial and and he had a passion for his people, not just Scotland though, because he wrote in English so mm-hmm. that his writings would be somewhat circulated. Mm-hmm. He thought of the overall body of Christ. He thought of long term of the United Kingdom as a whole um, and the church as a whole. But he he saw everything outside of Christ as being under wrath, under God's wrath. Mm-hmm. He he saw that. And that's why he's often been called an Old Testament prophet in a sense at sure. times. Yeah. And I think of that verse in Jeremiah, verse 20. I think of Jeremiah when I think of uh, John Knox, the mm. weeping prophet, which in Jeremiah 20, verse 9, it says, if I say I will not mention him, Jeremiah is talking. Yeah. 
If I say I will not mention God nor speak in his name, his word is in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. Mm-hmm. I am weary at holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And that didn't start out that way, though. Mm-hmm. When he was first called to preach, someone had called him from the pulpit. And, and John Knox was so frightened, so overwhelmed with emotion that he left the room and wept for days. He didn't come charging into this thing. He came into this this call of God with a deep sense of his own inadequacy. Mm. He came in with fear and trembling, but once he was in, he Mm. could not be silent. And so he would speak to not only the common folk, uh, there were Catholic priests in Scotland that were converted by him in the, in the, at the peak of the Reformation, many, and, they, and that did not set well. Um, but he would speak to nobles as well. There was one instance where he, when Mary, Queen of Scots, came to Scotland in the 18, in the, I keep saying the 18, I got to get that out of my head, 1560s. <laughs> I, don't, I think that's the first time I said that here. 1560s. She wanted to, 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 to bring Catholic, the, the Roman Catholic structure to, to Scotland again, and she started having these secret masses. Mm-hmm. And he said, he, one of the quotes he said was, he said, that I fear one mass more than all of the marching armies of Europe that would mm-hmm. descend on this kingdom. And so he was summoned by Mary, Queen of Scots, and he spoke to her, and he, he called her, I know you preached on repentance this morning. He called her to repentance right. and faith in Christ. Yeah. Which shows for, you. For, for idol, idol worship. Idol worship. Of and it reduced her to tears and she was howling like an animal. It shows you the, the spiritual battle at place here. Yes. You know, that he, John Knox understood the spiritual battle of his mm. time, and he, and, which isn't much different than our time, fellas. <laughs> the battle against idolatry, the need to repent and have faith. It's, you know, what I, what I preached on this morning, Mark 1, 115. Repent and believe. That's what Jesus said. To start mm-hmm. off his gospel ministry. Knox knew that. It was a spiritual battle. He boldly went to Mary, Queen of Scots. Do you want to know what the first words he said to her were? What's that? In God's presence, I speak. Mm-hmm. In God's presence, I speak. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> and um, and you, it's interesting you mentioned So why study John man, Knox? Man. Because of the seasons and times we find ourselves in, because we're seeing a lack of courage in the pulpits today in America. We're seeing a lack of courage amongst churches. So describe that for me, because you mentioned that earlier, and I wrote it down because I wanted to circle back to it. I mean, I'll uh, have both of you guys answer this question. What is it about his preaching that we need to learn as pastors who preach the gospel as well? First, what's, what's the difference that we see? Like, what is being preached here today that... Knox would say anathema to, and then what's the course correction? Well, he had one sermon where he might have used the word idolatry or idols no less than a hundred times, right? Am I correct in saying that? <laughs> it was like, yeah, it was like 80 to 100 times in, uh-huh. in one sermon. <laughs> I, funny story real quick. Back in Minnesota when I was a pastor, I Minnesota. can't remember what, what I, Minnesota. I can't remember uh, what the topic was, but I said a word over and over and over again, and then we had this newer family. And she comes up to me afterwards. She's like, you said this word, humility, I don't know, 85 times. She literally counted every time I said humility. <laughs> Continue on. That's when you go like, it's almost like if I repeat something. Well, you'll it's important. It's important. Hey, hey by remember. the way, it's easy to talk about this word, courage. Mm-hmm. There were assassination attempts on this man. In fact, one time he sat in his home and, and he usually sits in a particular chair at the dining table. And... On this particular day, um, he actually sat somewhere else, and a bullet came through where he normally sat. Hmm. A bullet? Yeah, a bullet. That's the story. Bullets in fifteen hundreds? Um, am I? I'm pretty yeah. sure it's pretty red. Yeah, I think I read so. That. Oh, huh. look, look up when. Uh... No, I'll do it later. Someone yeah. can fact check. I this. I read this quote. Is, I, mean, uh, I can even give you the. It's Christian History all right, Magazine. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> there were guns, Logan. <laughs> Golly. Maybe thought, it was like a, one it. of those old <laughs> I thought it was only in America that there were guns. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there's a lot of good reasons why we should study John Knox. Not only What for, was that last question you asked, by the way? 
Well, what I was what I'm trying to tease out is like Knox had a. Oh, how I mean, did he preach? What how did, did he, he preach? preach? And what do we learn from that? Because and I, what's not being seen today? Yeah, exactly. Well, he, number one, first and foremost, and we have to establish this, is that 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 John Knox's sermons were utterly and intensely Christ-centered. Mm-hmm. It was about Christ. It was about sola fide, the God, the, you know, justification by faith. He yeah. was coming against a system that was teaching that man could somehow work their way to salvation. Work righteousness. Um, right, and and ma- he hated that. Which, the context. He, right. he hated that which destroyed precious souls. He, he hated deception and error. And he saw many of these people that, who have been basically fed and drugged, in a sense, this theology that somehow misled them into thinking that they could make themselves right with a holy God. And and Knox basically, um, he, he, he tried to convey that we need to look at ourselves in the light of God's burning holiness, whereby we flee, we fly to the Lamb of God who alone can save us. So his sermons were were utterly Christ-centered. And another point mm-hmm. that you'll appreciate, Sean, is he was very expository in his preaching. Yeah. He went sequentially through books of books the Bible. Of Bible yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he learned that both from his mentor and John Calvin. Calvin. No, no, the... Oh, See, Evan forgets this guy too. Say his name because there's an important fact about him. Yeah, it's in my name. George Swish, George Wishart? Uh, yes, George Wishart. Originally, John John Knox was his bodyguard. Hmm. Did you know that? I had no idea. And so this oh. guy, this is the John Knox was a bodyguard. He's a tough guy, especially yeah. being in the French galleys. Yeah, yeah. But he, he also uses his beard as a garage. <laughs> <laughs> but he also he he experienced uh, a lot of um, problems when he was there in the French galleys. Mm. He didn't he get like some injury to his kidney, a kidney stone, and mm. and he had that for the rest of his life. So he had suffering. But he was originally George's. George not only mentored him, but he was kind of his bodyguard. Right. And there came a point where George Wishart said to John, "You need to leave." That's I think when he went into exile. Mm. You need to leave right. because you need to live to preach another day. Right. And shortly thereafter, George Wishart was martyred for his faith. Right. So go ahead. You were going to say something. Well, uh, so back on the topic of like what's not being done today is, yeah. I I think this is more of a recent conviction like on holiness and repentance. I think there's a, a lack of fire and zeal for that. And I think part of it comes down to is there's, there's a very large emphasis on God's love. Right. And that's great. God is a loving God. God God is is love. love. Um, but with that, there's a tendency to then sort of steer away or shy away, I think is a better term, of calling people to repentance or calling out sin. And not even, we, we, the word sin has been replaced. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a biblical term, hamartia, you know, in the Greek, it's there. But we say other things like hardship or my struggles. Or, or mistakes. Or mistakes. Or, and mm. don't get me wrong, I use that language as well. I fell But today unless or... unless that is connected to sin, right? Mm-hmm. So we all have hardships. We all go through, go through struggles or whatever, but we have to use the word sin. It's a biblical term, and we're, we've gotten away from that within right. our churches. Well, a good doctor will make the proper diagnosis. You never tell anybody, hey, I've got a cure for something, yeah. and yet don't tell them what that something is. Right. And, and, oh. uh, and that something's going to kill you. I mean, right. how do you know how to repent of sin if you don't, don't know call what the sin out? is? is. Yeah. Or, or put it this way let's say, I'll say this Joel Olstein is a heretic. That's bold. And yeah. people will balk at that, saying, Well, yeah. that's unloving. You like I've listened to Joel Olsen, you know, like I was very encouraged by it. And I have listened to him and he's actually a super good communicator. He's a great communicator. We had a conversation about Andy Stanley recently, same topic. Right. And but like notice I even said that and boom, both of you went silent. Like that was a harsh statement. But it's not unloving to say, No, he's a heretic, he is preaching a false gospel. Mm-hmm. And that's something that John Knox would do, and it is good. Oh, he said we're far away. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, <laughs> you know, we've, he we've, called Bloody Mary a, mo- a monster. Sure. It's, and it's like <laughs> Mary Tudor. Oh, yeah. Well, Mary Mary Tudor, just so you guys know, is Bloody Mary who yeah. killed many Protestants. Who, who basically did the Lord's work not knowingly when she basically uh, in, the eight, in the 1550s, 1554 to 1559, um, was when Mary Tudor the first reigned, and that's when um, John Knox went into exile. And 
and and started the Geneva Bible in Geneva, where sat under John Calvin, yeah. and 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 so the influence of the Reformation spread like wildfire in Europe. Oh yeah, the Geneva Bible. If you do a the history of the Geneva Bible, it had a massive influence. It was it was very anti uh, uh, monarchy, <laughs> which sure. is why we have the King James Bible because. In the margins were specific interpretations of texts like Romans 13, and James sure. came around and was like, ah, I'm, I'm a monarch. <laughs> Anyways, a little bit of history in the Geneva Bible. Right. So let's talk, think through a little bit of John Knox's history here. Sure. His, his you know, we all have a biography. We're creating a biography. We're still alive. What's a little bit of his biography? Again, just because some of the highlights, maybe some of the lowlights, because his life is filled with boldness, as we said, encouraged, but also um, persecution Sure, as well. Yeah, I wrote out his uh, his, uh, outline, and I'm going to kind of speedily gloss over his early life. Sure. Um, So uh, born in 1514, 1515, again, not that much information, Uh, and he was classically educated at St. Mary's uh, Parish. You know classical education. You're getting into that. So the same kind of education. Uh, He got his undergrad at St. Andrews to be a Catholic priest, and he was ordained in Edinburgh and a deacon in Headington, Scotland. And yet they had too many priests, so he couldn't really partake of it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But so, like, that's just to know, like, okay, so this guy is starting off as a Catholic. Right. And, like, we've already talked about his hatred of the Mass, and it's like, he's actually started in their So much like Martin Luther, who was a Catholic monk. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have here that he was converted in 1543 Mm -hmm. um, and then traveled under George Wishart. And George Wishart, as a mentor, is really the one that helped teach him courage and expository preaching and rhetoric infused with the doctrines of grace. Uh, and then a quick note. Another unsung hero of the Reformation, George Wishart. Right. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the guy, that we, I wish I knew his name so I could just name drop him because his, his presentation was excellent. Well, both Logan and I, when we went to the conference, as we mentioned earlier, right. you know, we're obviously looking forward to the great, com- you know, the conference. And yet you have these uh, breakout sessions that you don't have as high expectations, but we both, it was like, what, three hours that went fast? Two, yeah. Two and a half to three hours? It was three hours? hour presentation wow. on John and Knox. It, and it went fast. He made it yeah. very interesting. He was passionate about John. Yeah, he, he loved John Knox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, he also lived in Scotland, which I think. Yeah. yeah. He, uh, he uh, Did he attend St. Andrews too? I think so, yes. Okay, yeah. It's yep. easy to learn from people who love their topic. Absolutely. Yeah. And like again, the conference was great. That presentation might have been my favorite. Really? Second maybe to Kevin DeYoung. Yeah. Um. We'll get we'll get into Kevin DeYoung in the in another podcast. Um, so he, yeah, John Knox kept a pretty low profile from 1536 to 1543. Mm-hmm. In 1547, um, he was called to preach, and he did his. I think I believe it's his first sermon uh, okay. at a Catholic church. Okay, I think it was St Andrews. I could be wrong. Uh, and like we're talking about boldness, first thing he preaches on. Pope's the Antichrist. <laughs> Daniel uh, 7. Daniel 7, Pope's the Antichrist. <laughs> Pardon me? You said what? Pope's a- the Antichrist. At a Catholic church? Yeah. Yeah. Ca- yeah. This like, isn't like open and so, yeah, early, this is early. This is around when I think they mm-hmm. had a number of conversions, right, with the, right. the priests. And uh, I will say he wasn't invited back <laughs> immediately. Until, Neither did Mary, un- Queen of Scots, right. have him back. Until <laughs> Scotland was actually becoming more evangelical, he was not invited <laughs> back. Oh, man. Early on in my ministry, I uh, was invited to preach at the Catholic school, high school that I went to. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, they have no idea who they're asking to come back. <laughs> like, like oh, you know, he's a pastor. It's fine. But, you know, he's probably kind of Catholic still. And I just preached the gospel. And I, I left th- three fourths of that room was like. Didn't know what you were like. You're speaking a different language. Oh, but there's this small contingent of folks who were like. They're like closet evangelical, uh, you know, kind of room. Yeah, yeah, they're like, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, or just stretching. <laughs> uh, and then um, some some other things in this time period is he wrote uh, nine theses. So not ninety five like Martin Luther, but nine. Uh, I wrote down some highlights. Uh, no mortal can be the head of the church. Yeah, that's good. That's that's bold. So again, yeah. preaching against the Pope. Yeah. Uh, Pope is Antichrist. That was also one of the things right. really tried to hammer that one on. Uh, nothing could be added to the sacraments. Mm-hmm. So he's specifically talking about, you know, baptism and the Lord's Supper because Catholics have, what, nine? They have seven. seven. 
and then mass is an abominable idolatry. Yeah, because the the center of the mass is the Eucharist, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's what we do. It's transubstantiation, which we don't agree in. Right. Docs it be, literally it. becomes the body and blood of yeah. Christ. You know, yeah. In their, in their a teaching. re-sacrifice. And re- that's right. And you have to, and you participate, you do this work. And, and, to, and, and let's, let's just, let's just like set, tear out the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Let's just set yeah. the record straight right now before you continue. Go for Hebrews it. chapter 10. Uh, we need to establish from the scriptures that this is why John Knox felt this way. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, for by one offering, this is right. he has perfected for all those who are sanctified. Um, there might even be another one in there that in, in Hebrews 10 that's really good. But that's that's pretty much the bottom line. It is, just, there needed to be one sacrifice. It doesn't need to be repeated. It is finished. One sacrifice for all. It is finished. Christ the, has the, done the it. The grave is empty. The tomb yeah. is empty. And and now uh, we celebrate the Lord's table with the spiritual presence of Christ, mm-hmm. as Calvin taught, in which yeah. I agree with. Yep, I agree. We had a podcast on that recently. Mm-hmm. Yep, we certainly did. We'll, we'll, we'll upload that <laughs> later. So it goes beyond much of evangelicalism, uh, it, right. which is more—it's a memory. It's a—it's a remembrance type thing. Just but for the record, that's another. That's another podcast. For, for the record, Dean, Logan's wrong on. Oh, you, you took the other position. Yeah, I, I, I stick more with Zwingli. Because <sighs> I want to see in the scriptures where it says that. I'm going to have to give presence. you Sproul's teaching on that. Yeah. Well, well uh, for everyone listening, I don't know if, if by the time this uploads to the interweb, if that other podcast will upload, but we have one on the Lord's Supper that Logan and I Well, you did. preached on it, too. I I've, thought you did a phenomenal job on that. Appreciate that. Uh, and, I, and then we did a podcast on it, and it's, it was a fun one. We're, I stick to remembrance. Right. I did not w- listen to that podcast. We have, it's not uh, uploaded not, yet. Not uploaded. Oplo- oh, it's, it's not. Up, oh, yeah. it's, okay. All right, so back to John Knox. Yep. And, 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 and enough of our petty squabbles <laughs> about the Lord's Table. You're outnumbered, Logan. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm a Calvinist, so I'm used to that. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> right. So just a different section. Anyways, um, so there's – we already seen like pretty early on John Knox is is bold. Right. Um, then there was a period of time from 1549 to 1553 that he was uh, – oh, sorry. Then there was – oh, man, can you know all these things? Oh, yes. 1547 to 1549 he was captured in, in his travels and ended up in the French galley. Mm-hmm. So he spent how many months on 19 a boat? Months. Nineteen months on a boat as essentially a slave. If yeah. you've seen the movie Ben Ben Hur, that's kind of the imagery. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but he eventually got dropped off in England. Okay, uh, just in time for the rise of Queen Mary the first. Or well, that was Mary poor Tudor. timing. <laughs> uh, maybe in our eyes. Yeah, maybe in our but eyes. In God's providence. So, well, I, did I mention uh, and did I was this before the podcast was I, when I was talking about Edward the Sixth who was king for a for a cup of coffee? Yeah, um, Edward the Sixth was actually instrumental in getting John Knox freed from the French galleys mm-hmm. because he was he was promoting the Reformation in England, right, mm-hmm. right. and so he did he pulled off some type of trades a slave swap. Okay, mm. that's kind of what I how I heard it. Gotcha, and so there was the rise of Queen Mary the First or Mary Tudor, also known as Bloody Mary, super Catholic. Persecuted, killed, killed Protestants for a hobby. I, yeah, I heard. I think I read like three hundred martyrs, if not more. Mm-hmm. Um, so John Knox in fifteen fifty three, at the behest of his mentor George, uh, exiled himself from England because <laughs> who wouldn't yeah. <laughs> at that time? Um, but he and he gets engaged to his wife. He friends uh, Christopher Goodman. Uh, by the way, but, before you proceed further, he 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 did meet a lot of the great English mm-hmm. reformers at that time too while he was there. Yep, so I think Thomas Cramner. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, side note: He also got involved in what's called the Frankfurt Controversy versus the regulative versus normative principles of worship. So you want to explain that for our viewers, yep. our listeners, because this is an <clears throat> ongoing conversation within the church. Right, regulative principle of worship: we should worship as is commanded, specifically and directly. Within the scriptures. And don't go any further. And don't go any further. A lot of them will also go even even more specific and say the New Testament. Right. So John Knox would have said, with the New Testament, you sing, uh, sing psalms, songs, and hymns. Hymns and spiritual songs. Spiritual songs. Yeah. Which influenced the Pur- many of the Puritans. Absolutely. Right? So at John Knox's church, it was psalms. Psalms only, essentially. And I mean, we don't do that at Redemption Hill, but I appreciate that impulse to some degree. Oh, yeah. I think we're singing scripture. I mean, if you don't appreciate that impulse, then I got questions. 
Right. And, and Luther differed with that view, by the way. Luther the, the, and, and those that followed Luther mm-hmm. said it, that they, they were much more, had much more latitude. Sure. And they, could, they would say that if it's not forbidden by Scripture. And that's the normative, normative principle. principle yeah. Right. Yeah. If it's not forbidden, we're free to and, do and it. And this is one point I do disagree. I, I think John Knox went too far on, on this one. I would agree. Because I think you can, like, so for instance, he wouldn't use instruments. Instruments are forbidden. Why? Because... In the New Testament, instruments are not commanded. Yeah, right. But you do see them in the Old Testament in the Psalms. <laughs> in droves. Yeah. 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 And and so you'd be like, well, that's for the Commonwealth of Israel. I'm like, we are the we Israel. are Israel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, not saying replacement theory for those that know it, but yeah, right. You know, God has His chosen people. Um, and then from 1556 to 1559, he lived in Geneva, Geneva, Switzerland. Geneva, Switzerland. Under who? Which was the head, which was really the- Under the goat. Yeah, under the goat. Under the goat, man. John Calvin. John Calvin. Yep. So he actually joined John Calvin's church. John Calvin was one of his mentors. Uh, He helped create the Geneva Bible, specifically John Knox helped create it. Which is, again, as I mentioned earlier, had more influence than we give credit for. Sure. And eventually got banded in England, you know, and- (sighs) Not surprised. Um, and then in 1559, John Knox actually does return to Scotland. I mean, he returns to Scotland after mm-hmm. spending this time with John Calvin, just, just being in the presence of what is going on in Geneva, just learning right. and working with John Calvin. One of the greatest reformers. One of the greatest thinkers, one of the greatest theologians. Regardless of yeah. what you think about John Calvin, you might be listening to this and I, like, I'm not a Calvinist. Fine. That's Fine. What you can't deny is he's one of the greatest theologians, period. Right. Hard stop. Yeah. You just, no one would disagree with that yeah. if, no. they're, if they're a good student uh, of church. Pretty sure right. Jacob Arminius did not, would not disagree with that. Like, <laughs> he had a lot of respect for Calvin. Right. Just had theological dis- disagreements. Um, but in 1559, after all this time in England and getting inf- influenced by different reformers, he's coming to really bring the Reformation to Scotland. Yeah. So Scotland, before I think there was like a back and forth, evangelical, Christian, depending on who's Catholic. in the throne. Yeah. Right. So he comes back in 1559 and preaches at St. Andrews. Mm-hmm. This is the sad thing. We don't know the content of that sermon. Like I said, there's some, there may be two sermons that are left in print. Right. Even though he preached... Con- he he preached. Uh, I don't know how many w- would you say how many sermons would you say he preached in his lifetime based on your states? I have no idea. Thousands Probably, and thousands. Yeah, he and preached thousands weekly for he years. He lived to be fifty-seven years of age. So I mean, do the math. Yeah, um, but we do know the outcome of his sermon. Mm-hmm. All the evangelicals went out and burned all the chur- uh, Catholic churches down. Okay, <laughs> so gonna, this is where <laughs> I'm going to need to pause you right there, Patrick. Yeah. Uh, My name is Logan. Uh, I know. <laughs> Lutheran satire shadow. So he, he, everyone burned down the Catholic churches. Yeah. They went and burned down Catholic churches. Okay, I, got, I got questions. So from that, we can probably glean. Unless they were using them. Sometimes they used them. Oh, they were some using. of them are still standing. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think a lot of it was, I mean, we could probably glean from that if it was about idolatry. Yeah. Because there's a lot of Catholic yeah, idolatry right. and depictions of Jesus and Mary. Correct. and. We're not, but we're not sitting here at this table saying that John Knox was not flawed. Right. No. I would say this is probably one of his biggest flaws, like, because there's nothing that really indicates that he didn't participate. Which gets, (laughs) which gets back to the original question. Why study John Knox? Because John Knox was an instrument, a very flawed human, broken instrument used by a gracious God to 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 promote a movement of God, mm-hmm. a movement of, of Reformation theology, spiritual a spiritual awakening. This is the story of church history, Correct. that God uses broken vessels who are flawed, but who are in submission to him. Mm-hmm. And, and John Knox would argue the point that he would, he would appeal to the Old Testament. Absolutely. He would say, in the nation of Israel, when you had idolatrous kings... You you would see that when a righteous king came up, like Josiah, for instance, right. or Hezekiah, they, right? What would they do? They would tear down the idols. They would yeah. burn them down. Yeah. Tearing down the idols, tearing down the temples. So if they're seeing the Catholic churches and Catholics like that, no wonder yeah. they went and destroyed what was there. If, if seeing, the Catholic Church was equivalent to Baal, 
it, it was going down. Right. It was, it's the idol. And right. that's yeah. this is not the and Catholic Church you might see today, but this is this these were this is dark this was the dark ages. Right. They were it was utter corruption and and many of these priests had concubines and and many different Oh yeah. And he went he was railing against that. Right. And yeah. Queen Mary, which we've already sp- spoke of, not Queen Mary of Scots, Bloody Mary, Catholic. I'm pretty sure like it's at this point divine right. So she got her crown from the Pope. Right. Yeah, like, they were intertwined. <laughs> yeah. It's like <clears throat> it's no, I I think an argument could be made that at least Catholicism at this time would have been just as horrid as you know, idolatry of Baal or Baal mm-hmm. in the Old Testament. So I see why they did that. Now, is this a call for us <laughs> to, today right. to go and burn down some Catholic churches? Absolutely not. Right. We want to preach boldly right. and with conviction, but not with violence. Yeah. I, well, I would pick up on what Dean said earlier about John Knox, deeply flawed individual, and God uses flawed individual. And we can go back and to, you know, look at history through, through the scriptures and see that. Abraham, Moses, David, pick up your big names and you can see those flaws. Uh, we can, again, look at church history. Everyone from Jonathan Edwards, again, John Knox, um, and, and there's other figures throughout church history where it's like, whoa, I wouldn't have done that, you know. Sure. Uh, I still have questions about John Calvin and Michael Servetus and how that whole thing went down, you know. Yeah, and there's some misunderstanding that. I don't want to uh, go on a rabbit trail, but sure. it, those were unique times in which um, – uh, what is not understood is to to the very end, John Calvin tried to right. pre he he tried to reach out to Michael Servetus over and over to to get him to change his mind. But back then, at that time, not come or her- change his mind. Heresy was punishable by death back mm-hmm. then. So we don't want, we're not here to explain away. We're here to be honest with history. And John mm-hmm. Knox certainly was a flawed man, just like we are. But we want to be like John Knox, as he was like Christ in specific areas, such as preaching the gospel boldly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you want you take the Christ centeredness of the man. Right. Mm-hmm. You take the Christ centeredness of the preaching. Mm-hmm. Right. You see how an individual who is consecrated to God and used by God with all of his frailty and and flaws and sinfulness, we're all sinful. And you stand in amazement of God because this was a movement of God. And, and ultimately, that boldness and that courage of John Knox uh, expelled the French, I think, in about 1561 uh, from, from Scotland. And mm-hmm. I don't think that they ever came back. Yep. W- one, of the, one of the influences of Calvin on Knox that I just wanted to pull out, because I don't know if he said this. He mentioned a few. But Calvin influenced Knox in his views of the ecclesiastical structure in church discipline. Yes. Right? And Calvin was huge on that. Oh, yeah. Yes. Calvin was very clear. I mean, even as he talked about the civil and ecclesiastical connection, right? Mm-hmm. Calvin wanted to be crystal clear on that. And, and Knox took that to Scotland. Right. Yeah. And he wrote a book on it, too, didn't he? The church, the book of discipline. Didn't yep. Knox write a book? Let me get him on notes. Uh, so once he returned, he helped create the Treaty of Edinburgh. Uh, the Book of Church Discipline, and the Scottish Confession of Faith, along with a history of the Reformation in Scotland and, and Calvin, the Treatise on Prayer. Calvin encouraged him to write more, and I think mm. he actually, when he went back to Scotland as well, wrote a book on, a very thorough book on predestination, mm. which is interesting. So um, let's see if we can find a way to, to land our plane. We're, we're, uh, we just got the first announcement from the pilot. We're headed toward DSM airport question I have is this, to kind of move us in the right direction. I already asked a question why we should study John Knox. Now, what are the specific takeaways? So if I'm listening and I say, okay, you kind of made an argument for why I should study him. Mm -hmm. Uh, What are some specific takeaways that that apply to my life right now? Right. I, I mean, let's take it from the intellectual, historical intellectual component and bring it to the heart. Like, oh, okay. Well, I think first and foremost, um, the fir- again, I can't emphasize this enough. In, in both word and in deed and in life, in, in his prayer life, he was intensely Christ-centered. And that's whether you're a layperson yeah. or you're in ministry, you're preaching the word on every Sunday, um, gleaned from that. And, Let and, me ask and, you a question, a follow-up on that. Yeah. 
what do you we use that language a lot christ-centered gospel-centered whatever you know it's in every evangelical church website what do you mean by christ-centered what does that functionally mean for my life to be christ-centered wow we don't we need another podcast for that <laughs> yeah we do give, give me a so take take one podcast and condense it into two minutes. <laughs> okay, we're taking an elevator up to the eighth floor. <laughs> you got that much time. <laughs> well, I think number one is is to live. It's is to live in the light of our of the gospel first and foremost. In other words, every day I wake up, as I as I live my life before a holy God. What is my standing before God? Is it in Christ or is can that be taken away in a given moment based upon what I do or don't do? Uh, and so it's, it's daily understanding that at a time, place, in history through a bloody cross, my justification is found in the righteousness of Christ alone and not my own righteousness. And then in response to that good news, which gospel simply means good news, in, in, in light of that, I live a life of gratitude that strives to please that Christ. And he, John Knox, lived intensely to please God and please Christ. That's why you don't see much compromise. And so in this yeah. day and hour when so many, so many churches, so many preachers, so many books being written, so much money being made in the name of compromise, what would John Knox say today? Yeah. He would be incensed. He would be appalled. He would. What would Luther say? He would Calvin be. Tur- say he would Puritan be turning say. over. Or ta- Paul say. Or Jesus yeah, say. Yeah. He would right. be turning over tables like Jesus did in the temple. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like. Do you want to follow up on that? Yeah. On the topic of his boldness, like we see Christ being bold, mm. calling men a brood of vipers, whipping yeah. people out of the temple. Um. So when it but when it comes to being Christ centered, I think of. You know, what do you want to hear at the end of your life? Well done, good and faithful servant. Right. right. It's coming from Christ. Yeah. Is what I'm doing in this moment or to this, you know, each day to that end to serve Christ? Am I doing it out of a love of Christ? Um, And then I think it can be even helpful to use the slogan that is somewhat a platitude. What would Jesus do? Yeah. But we got to take the whole Jesus, the loving Jesus, but also the just Jesus. Correct. The one that hates sin mm. and loves justice and mercy and grace. Yeah. That's what I think it means to be Christ centered. Yeah. Like you said, Dean, we could have another podcast on what does it mean to be Christ centered, but I, I think it's important to help people really try to apply that aspect of who right. John Knox well, is. And so that's the part own, we want to exemplify. Right. And, and he was Christ centered in his own life, but he wasn't, he didn't settle there. He wanted Christ for all the people. Mm. He wanted Christ for all of Scotland. Yeah. He wanted Christ for all of England. He wanted the Reformation to to spread throughout the world. And indeed, it did. And and so did, you know, I thought of this verse before we came in uh, in Colossians yeah. one twenty five because mm. I think this verse really kind of encapsulates the, the John Knox the preacher. Uh, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. Paul is writing the Apostle Paul. So that I might fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God. And I think Knox did, in fact, carry out the preaching of the Word of God. He finished the race. Mm. It wasn't a, a, an extremely long life. I mean, in that day, I guess it was common, maybe 57. He, he died of natural causes, disease, I believe. I mean, Calvin lived to be, what, 58? Yeah. Um, 55. No, 55. There's a lot of reasons to study not only John Knox, but Reformation history in general. Uh, what you just said, John Knox was a part of the The spark was there, and he brought the gasoline. <laughs> yeah. That's a good, good way to put it. And the way it went, and the way I think about Reformation history in, in general is you see God's providential hand at work in various places throughout, in particular, the Western world, simultaneously going on. You know, we talk about John Knox going to Geneva and studying under Calvin, but John Knox and John Calvin weren't exchanging emails. You know, <laughs> right. it wasn't like John Calvin. No, it took. Hey, bloody, guy, what are you it, what are you preaching this it, Sunday? It took God's providence and That's God's right. sovereignty to uh, elevate, for whatever reason, Bloody Mary to the throne, and yeah. that's what got John Knox in touch with John Calvin, basically. Yeah, right. I mean, there's a bitter providence. The irony. <laughs> yeah, I mean, God can take a bitter providence exactly. and say, you know what? There's actually a bigger and better plan in which I am at work 
for my glory and for your good. Mm. Yeah. And John Knox certainly experienced um, the bitter providences and sweet providences of God throughout his entire life. He was a, again, as we stated, the trumpet blast of Scotland. And that, and that was done in the midst, that voice was ex- exhilarating and powerful and loud in the midst of much suffering in his life. And mm-hmm. we haven't even touched on a lot of that, but uh, the suffering that this man had in his, his life. His wife died of five years in a marriage. And, I mean, and yet he was... He continued forward. That's a lesson Absolutely. I take personally because it's easily to, in the midst of suffering, to get Give discouraged up. and just yeah. kind of just, uh, let's just come on, Jesus, come back quickly. I'm done. I want to say one last thing now, just real quickly that we're talking about, you know, suffering that John Knox went through. In his suffering, he what drove drove him? I think prayer. Mm-hmm. In his treatise on prayer, he has two two quotes that I wanted to share when it comes to suffering. That's good. Number one, troubles are the spurs to stir us to pray. And the second is he that prays not in his trouble denies God. Mm. Mm. God wants to be there for us in our time of need. He is our comforter. And if we do not go to him in prayer, we are denying him in a sense. Mm. That's good. So, all right, I'm going to close it there. Yeah. Be courageous like John Knox, be Christ centered like John Knox and uh, pray <laughs> with the fervency and urgency of, of John Knox. And there's more we could say about John Knox. I, this could be a two, three hour podcast. Sure. And grow a beard like John Knox. And grow, <laughs> if you can, I'm, I got a patch right here. It just won't mm. grow in. See, I just grew enough to cover a patch. So mm. I need to get like a, just for men beard. I don't even know if that's a thing, but anyways. <laughs> All right. Thanks for everyone for listening. Logan, you did this at the beginning. Do it again. How can people find us on all the relevant yeah. Media outlets. Cornfieldtheology.com, Apple Podcast, Amazon Podcast or Music or whatever, uh, Spotify, and YouTube. Yeah, if you're on YouTube or any of those areas, you know, like, thumbs up. Oh, and are we on like Stitcher? Uh, Stitcher, yeah. Yeah, Stitcher. So we hope that's helpful for you. Hope it maybe encourages you to learn more about John Knox in particular. I know, or, or any of the reformers. Or any of the like, reformers. Look absolutely. in the biographies. You can be. Here's what I'll say: a great way to be encouraged in your faith is to read good biographies of, Amen. of great men and women of history. Over there. <laughs> Twenty-one uh, servants of sovereign joy is by John Piper yeah. and does oh, many different, wonderful, many yeah. different people. Yeah, it's it's going to give you. I mean, he he. It's robust enough where he's like you appreciate the life of an individual. Um, but it also whets the appetite to want to learn more. Yeah. Right. So yeah, 21 Servants of Sovereign Joy Bay by John Piper. Quick plug for, for that. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. We hope you appreciate this podcast. So if you do, please do all the re- relevant things that Logan mentioned. And until next time, you're listening to Cornfield Theology.